and welcome to the Sober Bliss Podcast with me, Gail, and my amazing guest. I finally quit drinking for good in March of 2018, and one of the things that helped me was connecting with people on the same journey as me, hearing their stories and finding inspiration. No matter where you are on your journey to sobriety, I hope you enjoy listening to these stories and hope they bring you inspiration, joy and light so you can find your own sober bliss. Hi everyone and welcome to another edition of Sober Bliss Meet with me, Gail. And today I'm really excited because I'm talking to the lovely Alex McRobert and if you listen to me the other week, you will know that I talked to her for her podcast. So now we're doing a little reversal and Alex is here to talk to you about her sober journey. Now, Alex, you are Canadian, aren't you, but living in Abu Dhabi at the moment? Yeah. Okay, perfect. And Alex is the founder of the Mindful Life Practice. And we will talk a little bit more about that as the podcast goes on. But thank you so much, Alex. It's so good to see you again. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Gail? I'm very well. And it's nice today because it's not that hot. It's only 32, which sounds hot, but it was 40 degrees on Sunday. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. It must be hot where you are, though, as well. It is, but I often say to people it's different because we are a climate that's, or we're um, a country that's built for heat, right? So we have mm-hmm. air conditioning and we're prepared. We have fans that spray water in the outside. Like oh. a lot of spaces are built up with wind tunnels. So it's really, um, I don't mind the heat here. Um, where it's really bad is like we don't have any heating in our building. So if it gets cold in the winter, it gets really cold. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, so I think it's like, I don't think our heat is as bad. I really feel for you guys when you're talking about the heat because I think it's harder when you're somewhere where there isn't necessarily air conditioning or like a setup for it, you know? Yeah, I know. I mean, you'd think Spain especially the south of Spain would be able to handle the heat a bit better but I don't know they don't and my building has got no air conditioning but never mind it is but to be fair it only really lasts a couple of months and then after that it's pretty much lovely the rest of the time so we're lucky Anyway, this is me being typically British, talking about the weather, but (laughs) let's talk about you. So tell me, how did a Canadian, a young Canadian especially, end up in Abu Dhabi? Yeah, um, I love this question. People ask it all the time. Um, So I am a, well, I was a school teacher. Um, That was my profession. And um, before I started the Mindful Life Practice, Mm -hmm. And when I graduated from university, um, back in 2000, when did I graduate? 2014, they were, um, there were a lot of, there weren't a lot of jobs available in Canada for teachers. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's a pretty good job in Canada and people stay in the career for a long time. And, um, so as a result, you know, there's so many people graduating from school that there weren't enough positions for graduates. So they really were trying to encourage us to explore teaching abroad. 
And um, teaching abroad is an amazing opportunity for teachers because in these places where you work, they'll provide you an apartment, they'll provide you annual flights, and then, you know, you're in a different part of the world and you get to travel around and, and experience all the local culture. And so when I was graduating school, I really wanted to move to like South America. That was what I kind of had my eye on um, because I really wanted to be in the heat. Um, Mm -hmm. And I applied for some jobs in South America, didn't get what I was looking for. I was pretty late in the game um, and I ended up getting recruited by a principal in Kuwait. So I originally moved to Kuwait, which is so conservative, so tiny um, it's in between Saudi Arabia and Iraq. Mm-hmm. Um, alcohol is completely illegal in Kuwait. So it was a very kind of extreme, mm-hmm. extreme um, move. And I ended up, I was there for two years, which was amazing, but also incredibly difficult. And while I was living there, I had an opportunity to travel around and I visited Abu Dhabi and I absolutely fell in love with it because it's a bit of a bigger city. It's much more diverse. Um, there's people from all over and there's a lot to do. You know, we're an hour drive from Dubai. So pre-COVID times, you know, there's concerts, there's events. Um, there's so many different activities. And so, yeah, I fell in love with Abu Dhabi and here I am. So it's been six years and I don't see myself leaving anytime soon. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. So exciting. Yeah, it's been fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So tell me then, you mentioned that Kuwait was completely alcohol-free. I imagine where you are now is not. Um, So tell me about your kind of drinking story, drinking journey a little bit, and then we can move on to why you stopped. Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in um, the city of Toronto, And in Toronto, it was totally normal to drink as part of events, as part of social occasions, Mm -hmm. family gatherings. And so growing up, I was raised around alcohol as just a normal part of adult life. And I started drinking at a pretty young age. I started drinking when I was 15. Mm -hmm. I started going to parties um, in high school and I ended up sort of carrying on this partying lifestyle throughout university. And I think sometimes like attracts like. And so the people that I tended to hang around with also drank a lot. And I didn't really see my drinking as anything abnormal, anything too much. And I remember at the end of university moving in with a couple of, um, it was my, one of my friend's little sister's. And they were athletes. One was one was a runner. One was a lacrosse player. And they didn't really drink. And, mm-hmm. you know, we would watch The Bachelor on a weeknight and they would have water and they would say, let's go out for a drink. And it would literally be one drink. Yeah. And that was the first time that I ended up thinking like, wow, I feel like I have to hide my drinking. I feel like these people will judge my drinking. And, Mm. um, that was the first time when I started to think, you know, maybe there was something, um, too much about my drinking. Mm. And at the same time I had signed, I had been recruited for this job in Kuwait. I had signed this job in Kuwait. Um, and I ended up moving there a few months later. And 
in Kuwait, alcohol was completely illegal. And I remember everyone saying to me when I was moving, you know, that alcohol is illegal there. And I said, yeah, yeah, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Um, I asked and, you know, you can get it. And so in the country itself, alcohol is legal on embassy properties. So for example, the American embassy, the British embassy, um, the Australian embassy. So alcohol is legal within those properties. And, but you can't just show up at them. You need to have an invitation to an event. Um, And there was also places to find it. It's like in the prohibition, you know, just because it's illegal doesn't mean it's go Mm -hmm. it goes away. Yeah. And I learned how to make it actually. Um, And so I, despite finding ways to drink throughout my time there, I still got into this headspace of, it was almost like every time I was out of the country, I felt like I needed to drink as much as possible Mm -hmm. um, because I wasn't going to have it when I was back in the country. And so every vacation became an excuse to drink almost every single night. Um, and even when I would land in like Dubai or Abu Dhabi, you know, we'd be staying at a beach resort and we would start drinking at, you know, 9am. Mm-hmm. And this just became kind of my life and completely normal. And when I chose to move to Abu Dhabi, a lot of people who, who are outside of the Middle East don't know how the different countries within the Middle East you know, differ from one another. And so a lot of people ask me, you know, why are you so excited about moving to Abu Dhabi? What makes Abu Dhabi different than Kuwait? And I would always be like, well, alcohol is legal. And that was my starting point. And of course, in reality, there's so many other things that, you know, made me fall in love with Abu Dhabi. Like the city is gorgeous. You know, I can see the ocean from my apartment. The beaches are beautiful. Like there's so many other things about Abu Dhabi that make it special, but the priority to me at that point in my life was the alcohol. Yeah. And the thing about Abu Dhabi and Dubai, one of its uh, issues, I think, is that it's almost like the vacation destination of the region. And so they have a lot of all you can drink events. Um, mm-hmm. It's pretty normal to start drinking at noon on a Friday because our weekend is Friday, Saturday. And so Friday is like brunch day. So all of the expatriates will gather at, you know, a restaurant in a hotel and it's all you can drink from 12 until four. And then you can get the after brunch package, which is the same thing from four until eight. And then all of a sudden it's midnight and you've been drinking for 12 hours straight. And this is the culture that I arrived in. And so I was like, wow, this is my paradise. This is amazing. It's totally normal to be drinking to excess at this hour of the day. And um, it's ironic that, you know, this place that in my mind was my paradise was what ended up bringing me face to face head on with like the reality of like, I need to quit. Yeah, I can relate to that because I moved to Spain for similar reasons, you know, to show my youngest son a better way of life, more relaxed, Mm -hmm. more outdoors, more nature. Um, And I ended up falling into the same trap of drinking to excess in the place that I'd chosen to to live a better life, which, yeah, yeah. So did you kind of partake in that kind of all you can drink every weekend kind of culture. Yeah. 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 For uh, a year and a half. 
Mm. I was so into it. And, um, I also had a liquor store in my building, in my apartment building. Um, and I was like, this is amazing. And I was, you know, I would come home from work and I would want to get a bottle of wine. And I was just so happy to finally have access to alcohol. And Mm -hmm. I thought it was like grown up of me. I thought it was normal, you know, have a wine with dinner And then they also have a lot of ladies nights throughout the week. And I think the reason why they do this is to try and get more women into the bars because traditionally it was more male heavy, like male expats way back in the day. I don't know if that's the case anymore, but Mm -hmm. for some reason, the city still has ladies nights where women can drink for free pretty much every night of the week. Um, And like not every bar, but you know, if you're someone like me, I knew I could tell you the ladies night schedule across the city. Like I could tell you which bars you drink for free in. And so um, that became normal too. And so it would be normal for us to go out and get drunk on like a Monday or a Tuesday. And then it's funny to go into work. And like, I remember one of the last nights of drinking before on a ladies night going into work and I had drank so much. My eyes were so puffy. And I remember coming into work and, and someone at the front desk being like, Oh my God, you had a ladies night last night. Ha ha. And everyone's laughing about it. And, and I feel like death, yeah. like walking into my classroom. And, and I look back and I'm like, that's not funny, but it's yeah. just become so part of our culture that, you know, we don't, we don't realize how strange it is. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. So it literally was everywhere and for free Mm -hmm. gosh and how long did this kind of go on for and how how did you cope how did you actually manage to get up in the morning I don't know oh my god (laughs) I don't I honestly don't know Mm -hmm. um and I mean I like to give this point um is that you know I was a teacher at the time and it's amazing to me when I look back because I was considered like one of the outstanding teachers at the school at the time. Like I was, I stood out as like hardworking, committed, like passionate. And so my drinking never interfered with my ability to do my job, which I think is important because we have this stereotype in our head that, that alcoholics get up and drink in the morning. Um, and for myself, it was like, I was working Sunday to Thursday and then my partying was happening at night and on the weekend. And somehow I still managed to you know, get up and do my job well. Um, But this began and it didn't begin, you know, it didn't begin when I first moved to Abu Dhabi. Like when I first moved to Abu Dhabi, I remember being in a period of time because I came in the middle of the year. I came in November. So I didn't have friends immediately. And so I wasn't, I don't think I drank at all for the first week of my time there. You know, like it, it, it sort of built as I got kind of, I don't know what the right word is, but when I started to get brought into these occasions and brought into these events and I saw, Oh, this is what people do here. Um, I started to do it too. Yeah. And, um, so this happened from November until November of 2017 until April of 2019. Yeah. So two years almost. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know what you mean when you say like you you didn't just jump in and then all of a sudden you were drinking every night. I think that's the nature of alcohol in general, wherever you are, whatever your situation, you don't suddenly wake up one day and, you know, just drink heavily. It does creep up on us gradually over time. And I think that's 
kind of the sneaky insidious nature of it because you don't realize what's going on until it kind of hits you or you take a step back and you're like wow how did I get from this point just drinking socially or a couple of glasses of wine in a minute uh, in the evening to being where I am now wherever that might be did you have a kind of a realization did anything happen that made you think okay this has got to stop or what happened so I was so I have a mood disorder that I was diagnosed with um long time ago and have been Mm -hmm. on medication for for a long time and I had gotten treatment for it in 2017 and had really improved and then moved to Abu Dhabi, the drinking escalated and it kind of was right back towards the bottom because mood, any kind of mood drugs generally don't work well when you're drinking with them. And, um, I've learned that, you know, a lot of people struggling with their mental health. We just do not have the education and awareness around how much alcohol impacts that, you know, even if you're not on the mood stabilizing drugs, alcohol can trigger anxiety, hangover, anxiety, depression, Mm -hmm all that stuff. And, um, so I didn't understand how much it was impacting me. And it sort of hit this point in Abu Dhabi where I was like, okay, my life is amazing right now. I live in this amazing apartment. I have this amazing job. I am living in this city that I love. I have amazing friends. Like everything in my life is going amazing. Why am I so unhappy? And it was almost like I had spent years of like chasing happiness. Like I'm going to be happy when I move out of this apartment. I'm going to be happy when I move overseas. I'm going to be happy when I'm on vacation. And I'm finally like, I'm going to be happy when I'm in Abu Dhabi and I get here and I'm still not happy. Mm -hmm. And um, I knew that it was the drinking. And so I had been Googling how to quit drinking. (laughs) Um, (laughs) As so many people do. And I started getting targeted Facebook ads for one year, no beer. And do you know one year, no beer? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And so what I loved about one year, no beer is that they were running these testimonials about people's stories, um, quitting drinking and changing their lives. And Mm -hmm. in all of these stories, everyone I could relate to, you know, it was like someone who described himself as a normal drinker, like, you know, living the typical city life, going out for, pints after work with their friends. And, um, I kept seeing these stories and I wasn't going to like one year, no beer or follow them or anything. Cause I was like, I don't want anyone to know that I have this drinking problem, but I kept circling back to this page mm-hmm. and I was seeing these ads probably for like a four month period. But I also at that same time had a lot of occasions going on in my life. I had you know, trips coming up. Um, one of my best friends was coming out to Abu Dhabi because her brother was competing in the special Olympics. And so there was a lot going on where I was like, I can't be sober for this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and, but I was, it was in the back of my mind thinking, you know, I really need to quit. I really need to quit. And it hit April of 2019 and I was on vacation with my mom in Morocco and in the Middle East, um, drinking is mostly restricted to like hotels. And I think that was originally designed because it was for travelers and expats because it, it's not part of the Muslim culture to consume alcohol. Yeah. So as a result, it's kind of like 
you know, there's only certain places within a city where you can drink and, um, you have to sort of plan ahead. If you want to drink, you can't find it in every hotel. So you have to go to the bottle shop. And, um, I was obsessed with like having wine and beer on all the occasions I needed to have it every night of the trip. We were traveling around Morocco, you know, Mm. I was packing up and there was one night, it was my 27th birthday. And I was staying with my mom in a homestay at the top of the high Atlas mountains. And it was incredible. Um, but there was no alcohol in the homestay. And I walked up this mountain with red wine on my back. And I said to my mom, you can't share this wine with anyone because we won't have enough because there's only one bottle between the two of us. And we got to the end of the bottle and I still wanted more, but obviously there was nothing more because we're at the top of a mountain. Mm -hmm. And I remember going to bed that night and thinking, you know, this has to stop. Bless you. (laughs) Thank you. And so I had about four nights left in Morocco and I, I was like, I can't quit now. It's going to ruin this trip. And so I went out with a bang. I think I recruited everyone we were traveling with to go out to the bar until like 2am. And, um, on the flight back from Casablanca to, uh, Morocco. So about a week after my 27th birthday, I said, all right, this is it. I'm taking a 28 day break from drinking. Wow. And so initially I didn't even want to join one year, no beer. Um, I didn't want to pay for it. I didn't want anyone to know that I was part of it. And so I did the first week alone, Mm -hmm. hit the end of the week, hit the weekend was like, I cannot do this alone. So I signed up for one year, no beer, still refusing to join the Facebook group because I didn't want anyone to see. So I was using their Slack app, which was okay. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, I think I hit maybe day eight or nine and I said, you know, I really need to join this Facebook group. And so I finally joined the one year, no beer Facebook group. And like, that was the game changer for me because hearing other people's stories and knowing that I was not the only person in the world going through this helped so much. And so whenever I was feeling low, whenever I was feeling cravings, whenever I didn't know what to do, I would go on this Facebook group and just read people's posts and read and read and read. Um, And it was like this huge, this huge anchor for me. Mm, yeah it's so interesting when you said that I didn't want anybody to know what I was doing I didn't want to join I think a lot of people experience that I think we feel ashamed Mm -hmm. don't we certainly when I stopped as you know my husband and I stopped together so I immediately had that support but I didn't tell anybody else for at least a couple of months because of the fear of being judged, what will they think of me? It's very shameful. Yeah. Um, and I think we talked about this on your podcast. Obviously, as time goes on, you begin to feel better and proud of what you're actually doing. And I think it should be celebrated. But unfortunately, there is that kind of shame attached. But it's so helpful, as you say, to be in that community and to read other people's stories because absolutely we are we are not alone. So tell us, how did you get through those early days, obviously with the support of the, the Facebook group? How did you manage the first weeks, months? And when did the yoga come in? That's what I'm interested to know about. 
Yeah. Um, so I had actually been teaching yoga and practicing yoga for a long time prior to my sobriety. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, when I was struggling with my mood as, uh, I actually started yoga for the first time when I was 10 years old, I was really, really young. Um, and then I kind of drifted in and out of it. And when I was really struggling with my mood, when I was 18, a therapist recommended that I try yoga. And so that was how I got into it again. And it was like, immediately, it was not long after I started practicing that I was like, I'm meant to be a yoga teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I had this feeling in my, um, in my intuition that this was like the path in life I was meant to take. And so during university, I ended up going on a yoga teacher training. I went to Mexico. My parents were so not happy about it because they (laughs) really wanted me to just have like a normal career, you know, like be a teacher, have safety, security, live a normal life, um, was what they wanted for me. And, um, I ended up missing my undergrad graduation for my yoga teacher training, which they Mm -hmm. were so upset about. And came back to school, uh, was finishing my bachelor of education, said to my parents, you know, I'm going to just stay in Canada and be a full-time yoga teacher. And they said, no, 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 you need to get a job. And so that was kind of how I ended up going, following teaching. Mm -hmm. Um, And so yoga had been there all along. And I do believe that one of the reasons my drinking escalated so much was because I was not... I was like living in conflict with who I was meant to be. You know, I knew that this was my purpose um, was to be teaching yoga. And yet I, I mean, I was doing it part-time. So it's like, it's not like I wasn't fully not doing it. So I was teaching part-time all along these seven years, but Mm. all I wanted to do was just, you know, do something like what I'm doing now. And, um, and so when I was quitting drinking, I really, that was one of my biggest tools was I would, um, on a weekend night or on a week night, if I was struggling with having cravings, having triggers, I would go to the gym or go to the yoga studio. And I got really into other forms of workout at the same time. So I was still teaching yoga. I was practicing yoga, but I also decided to train to be a spinning instructor and a bar instructor Um, and so I was really kind of getting into my well-being, And Mm. so that was like massively, um, supporting my journey. Yeah. And then when I got to around day, I would say I was maybe around 30 days into my sobriety. Um, I, I had a teaching assistant who was incredible for three years in Abu Dhabi, but she was always going on about, um, you know, her psychic and tarot card readings. And, and I was like, I don't really buy into this stuff. And she kept saying, you should see my psychic. And I'm like, no, no, no. (laughs) And I hit 30 days alcohol free. And I, I, I was saying to her, I'm so unhappy. I don't want to teach anymore. I really don't want to do this. Maybe I could be a counselor. Maybe I could do da da da. And she said, you know, you really should see my psychic. And this time I was like, okay, I don't believe in psychics, but I'm so desperate that, you know, what else am I going to do? So I ended up driving to Dubai to meet the psychic. And I drove for about an hour and 40 minutes and I got inside his house, closed my eyes. He said, close your eyes, count back from 21 to one, open your eyes. And I opened my eyes and he said, you were never meant to be a teacher. You were meant to be a healer. And I just started crying and I cried for the entire hour. And he, he said, you know, you're meant to be a life coach. You're meant to heal people. You're going to open this 
retreat center one day. It's going to be so different. It's going to be a fusion of all these things. He said to me, um, you're going to be doing Tai Chi. And I was like, I don't think I'm like, I do yoga. (laughs) And so I think he was seeing what he thought was Tai Chi, but was yoga. And so this was like this turning point for me because all this time I felt like, you know, there's thousands of yoga teachers out there. You know, what makes me special? I'm not special enough to like make it. And as soon as I had this conversation with him, it flipped this switch instead of like, this is my dream to like, this is happening, (laughs) you know? And so every moment of my life began to become about building what's now the mindful life practice. And so this, I think was one of my biggest, um, fuels in sobriety. And I say this a lot to my, my clients, you know, you have to find your reason why mm-hmm. that is going to keep you moving forward. And for some people it's their children. For some people it's, you know, a new hobby. Like maybe they're running a marathon. Maybe they're learning to skate. Maybe you're learning the guitar or maybe, you know, you want further promotions and work. Maybe you're like me and you, and you want to become an entrepreneur and start your own business. But as soon as you find something that's going to fuel you, something that you want more than drinking, it's just, it's not even a question anymore. I'm like, I never, I can never go back to drinking because then I wouldn't have all of this. And yeah. And so I just became, started working on it, working on it. He told me to become a life coach, did a life coach training at a life purpose, um, coach training. Um, it's called life purpose Institute. And at this point I had zero intention of doing sober work. Um, I was just a life coach. So I was coaching people on life balance, life purpose, and people kept coming to me about their drinking because I was kind of being public about my drinking. Yeah. And I ended up coaching a friend through nine days sober. Um, and this was maybe a few months after the mindful life practice had started going. And at the end of this, coaching thing. He wrote me a letter saying, thanks for saving my life. And that was this moment where I was like, wow, I'm meant to be a sober coach. And then everything kind of came into place from there. Mm -hmm. So the mindful life practice as a whole is a community for everyone. It's an online, I call it like a virtual soul center. It's for all people from all walks of life, all over the world, um, yoga, meditation, Pilates, bar, Mm-hmm. And then within that, we have a sober program. And so I do sober coaching one-on-one. And then I also do um, my sober group program called Sober Curious Yoga School. Wow, that's so incredible. I love it how all the pieces have just kind of come together mm-hmm. for you. Obviously, it's been bubbling away inside of you. And then the drinking obviously squashed it down and then all of a sudden, thanks to this psychic, maybe you realize yeah. this is actually what I am supposed to be doing. Um, and you just look so happy doing what you're supposed to be doing. It really, really shines through that this is your purpose. Oh, I'm so proud of you. So happy oh, for thank you. you. <laughs> so can you walk us through the sober curious yoga school um how you use yoga to help people with their sobriety i find that really interesting yeah absolutely um so 
it has evolved over the course of the past year. Um, mm -hmm. The very first program I launched was called Sober Girls Yoga. Um, and it was an eight week program um, with women's circles. And then yoga was kind of a supplement to it. Mm -hmm. And then the second time I launched it, it was a 30 day yoga challenge with group coaching. And then um, it generally it evolved to get daily emails. And then um, what it is now is this eight week program. I've shifted the name from sober girls yoga to sober curious yoga for a couple of reasons. Mm -hmm. The first being that there were men asking me if they could take part and it didn't feel right to keep it exclusive to women. Mm -hmm. And the other reason we call it sober curious yoga school is because people were leaving the group after they had had a blip or had a drink because they felt like they didn't identify as sober or they felt like they didn't belong. You know, so many people reached out to me and said, can I still come even if I've had a drink? And I'm like, hundred percent, of course you can yeah. still come. Um, but the word sober felt a bit too restrictive. Okay. And so we transitioned to sober curious yoga and a sober curious yoga class is different from a regular yoga class in that there's a check-in at the beginning and we keep the group size limited to 10 mm -hmm. so that everyone has the space to share. Um, and so we pick up the talking stick and we kind of share what's going on with us. Sobriety, mental health, otherwise mm -hmm. relationships around alcohol. And then we put down the stick and it gets passed on to the next person. And so we run sober curious yoga almost every day of the week. And I have other teachers now facilitating it with me. So I'm not the only teacher anymore. Yeah. And then as part of sober curious yoga school, that's a much more supportive. Um, it's an eight week program. It's for people that are newly taking a break from drinking and mm -hmm. it includes daily yoga practices, daily meditations, um, daily journal prompts, daily kind of information, um, about sobriety and it follows the seven chakras, which are the seven energy centers along the spine. And so basically I've broken down, like, for example, the root chakra, um, is all about safety, security, and being grounded. And some aspects of balancing the root chakra include your physical health and your finances. And so our journal prompts revolve around these aspects of our life. Wow. And basically we're looking at our whole life overall bit by bit and kind of tackling or problem solving each area so that in the end we can create a life that we don't need alcohol to escape from. Wow. I love that. So amazing. And is it online or in person or both? Yeah, it's online. Um, so I am, I actually don't facilitate the groups myself anymore. I've trained people to be sober curious yoga teachers. And so they lead the small groups and then I'm kind of overseeing the program. Um, and so it's an eight week zoom program. And then I also do in-person events in Abu Dhabi. So I do, you know, I actually do brunches and, ladies nights and yoga retreats, which are sober, which to people here is very unique, considering that typically yeah. these events are all drinking. <laughs> um, and in those events, they're more open to everyone. And I'm trying to promote sobriety as something that is as cool as drinking. And so mm -hmm. I get people at these events who might be mindful drinkers, might still be partiers, or they might be sober curious or sober. Um, and so the live events I do are kind of open to everyone. Wow. Wow. You seem to have done such a lot since that, you know, 
seven days after your birthday and how are you feeling now compared to that night when you ran out of wine and had to go to bed at the top of the mountain I just can't even believe that that I that was the same person um I just look back and I'm like wow like I I was so terrified of the whole sober journey. It was so consuming. It was so hard, Mm. but I look back and I'm just like, so, so proud of myself for taking that first step. Cause all it Mm. is, it's just day after day, one foot after another, one day at a time, you know, and then one day it'll be two years later and you'll be like, Oh, you're just, you know, you're just someone I used to know (laughs) that drinker girl, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so before we go, what advice would you give? I want you to do two bits of advice, actually. The first one is, uh, if anybody is listening to this and thinking, gosh, I can relate. I'm really not happy with how my drinking is making me feel at the moment. Um, what words of encouragement would you give to that person? I would say find your people. (laughs) And there are so many different communities out there. And I really feel, you know, we're both sober coaches. There's lots of sober coaches I have met through running my podcast and in the sober world. And what we're doing is not competitive. It's collective. We all want people to find happy and healthy life's alcohol free. And the people who might resonate with me might not resonate with you and vice versa, you know? And so I think find your community because it will be out there Mm -hmm. and whether it's one year no beer that resonates, whether it's sober bliss, whether it's sober curious yoga, because having a community of people behind you is, I think that was the key for me Um, because it's so hard to walk this path alone and you're not the only person out there. So, so seek others and and know that you're not alone and just take it, you know, one day at a time. Mm, Yeah, exactly. It's so important to have those people around you that who who get you and know what you're going through so that you don't feel alone, which absolutely it can be a lonely journey. Um, but it needn't be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great, thank you. And a bit of yoga advice, because I think I told you the last time that I did a bit of yoga, and I know there's some people in my membership who do kind of dabble in yoga as well. Um And I did it for 30 days and I absolutely loved it. And then I missed a day and then I missed another day. And this was like two years ago. So how can we incorporate it into our life? Because it's a practice, isn't it? It's not just something you do, you know, maybe once a week, really. It is a practice. So how can we begin to make this a practice as opposed to something that we have to do so it doesn't Mm -hmm. feel like a chore you know what I think I would almost give the same answer that I gave for sobriety it's um I personally cannot do my yoga thing alone without a community um and when I moved to Kuwait I actually lost my yoga community because you know the there was one yoga studio in the country and it was an hour drive from where I was living and Mm. I didn't go for a year. And then when I did go, I would, you know, have enough time to teach 
maybe one or two classes a week. Maybe I could take one class a week, but that's all that worked with this long commute. Mm -hmm. And I really lost my practice. And so what has really helped me is having this community, you know, we do our yoga live on zoom every day. Um, and having people to practice it with makes it fun, makes it social. You're connecting with these people, you're forming these meaningful relationships. And so I would say like, find a way to, to find a community around it. And, and the beauty of what I offer is that if you're like me, like I was, you know, when did I move to Kuwait six years ago and there was no yoga studio, Mm. your studio can be in your house on your computer. You don't have to travel. You know, it also works for parents. If they have to be home with their kids, their kids can be in the room and they can be doing their yoga. Um, and so it's so accessible for people. Um, so I would say just find, yeah, find your community. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So your classes, they're live and can, can you just sign up and say, okay, I want to do a month of yoga with Alex or how does it work if anybody's interested yeah so we have just transitioned to offering our classes in seasons um Mm -hmm. so eight week seasons so we have um classes every single day we have about I think we have 25 classes a week now um I teach about half of them and then I have other teachers teaching so that we can have things in different time zones so we have North American evenings and we have European evenings as well. Mm. Um, and so you can either sign up for the unlimited pass, which is $99 a month. And that gives you access to, you could do up to one yoga class a day. I mean, you could even really do more. Technically the rule is one a day, but you could do more. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but the, then the, the seasons. So I have certain people that just want to do one class a week, which is perfect. And so they would sign up for an eight week, you know, uh, sober flow at 11 a.m. on Sundays. And um, we hit a limit of 10 people in each class for the sober and 15 for the mindful because the mindful classes, we don't have that sober check-in, but we need Mm -hmm. to keep the numbers small so that we have time for everyone to check in. Um, And quite a few of my classes, actually my classes for the next three days are all fully booked, which is amazing. Um, So if you are interested in joining, check it out and make sure you book uh, them in advance and you can definitely jump in for the remainder of the summer season. We're only, we're only a week and a half into this summer season. Um, so if anyone wants to jump in, you can totally jump in now. Cool. And does it matter if they've done yoga before or not? No. So we have, uh, different classes. We have different levels of classes. So we have Mm -hmm. everything from, so, uh, mindful or sober, let go is like very passive. You're holding deep stretches for three minutes. Um, so that would be perfect for something who, someone who needs something more gentle. Maybe you're already an athlete and you just want to stretch and build your flexibility. Let go would be a perfect class. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we go all the way from, so we have flow classes, flow one, which is a beginner flow flow two, which is an intermediate flow. We have a class called empower, which is really challenging so empower is more advanced and we're working towards headstand in that class Mm -hmm. um and then we have flow and let go which is a mix um we have a sweat class which is a really good cardio we have weights in that class so that's good to kind of add balance into your practice and then we have a class called strong which is our variation of pilates wow that's so amazing um obviously i'm going to put all of the links to everything 
in the show notes, but can you just tell our lovely listeners where we can find you if we want to know more about the, the yoga, the sober curious, the mindful life practice, where can we find you? Yeah. So the website is the mindfullifepractice.com. Um, and everything is there. So my sober coaching, the sober curious yoga school, um, the mindful classes, they're all on that website. Um, and then I'm a big, big Instagrammer for my social media. So you can find me at Alex McRobs for my personal Instagram. And then, uh, the mindful life practice is for the whole yoga community. And then sober curious yoga school is just for the sober. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much, Alex. I really, really enjoyed talking to you today. And I just know that my listeners are going to love you as well. So thank you so, so much for joining me today. Thank you, Gail. It was amazing and so wonderful to chat with you more. And I really appreciate the invitation. Yay, you're welcome. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then please share and subscribe. For more help and support, go to the Sober Bliss website, soberbliss.com. Connect with me on social media and learn how I can help you quit drinking and start living.